A few weeks ago, I was driving in my car, and every time I would tap the brakes, there was this horrible, wretched, screeching and scraping sound that I would hear. Now, my dad taught me to listen to my car, and it would help diagnose if there was problems. So very quickly, put two and two together, bad sound when I brake, let's replace brake pads. Got the parts, got to the Horstia family garage, and got to work. Now, when the job was complete, I looked down at, at hands that generally looked something like this, and they were coated in grease and dirt and grime and the remnants of what were once useful brake pads. So right now at church, we're, we're in a series on the Beatitudes. And a few Sundays ago, I preached and, and I was supposed to cover verses 7 and 8. And I ran out of time for 8. So we're wanting to cover verse 8 for you today in an online exclusive. So let's get right into it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. It says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Now I think of all of the Beatitudes, in my view, this is one of the ones that's a bit trickier to to kind of get a handle on. The verse that precedes it is, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown or they'll receive mercy. The one that comes after are, are blessed are those who work to bring peace, or blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, we understand how we can actually show mercy to people. Anyone that's in need, we can help. If there's people fighting, we know that there's ways to bring peace. But I think what gets hard with blessed are the pure of heart is that we don't have a great gauge for knowing the purity of a heart. How do we measure the purity of a heart? How do we know if we have a pure heart? We're going to dive into this today, and I want to start by looking at some of the terms that are listed here. We want to get a good idea of, of Jesus' in, in, uh, intentional messaging by the words he chose. So, we start with this word, pure. Now, the Greek word is katharos, and Essentially, this literally means clean in every way you can think of. Physically, ceremonially, and ethically clean. The one phrase I love in this definition, it says, unstained with the guilt of anything. It's just pure, pure, pure. Now, uh, for me, a great picture of this is that... uh, moment when you get the fresh sheets stretched out on your bed and it's just this untouched, pristine, pure setting. And it doesn't matter what time of day it is, you feel like all I want to do is go to bed and enjoy this perfect, pure space. 
This word pure, it's clean, unblemished, unsullied. That's the picture. Then we come to this word heart, pure heart. And the word heart in Greek is the word cardia, which sounds a lot like cardiology, right? Now this word defines the heart as the center, the core of all physical and spiritual life. This heart is, is the seat of your mind and your soul, and, and it regulates and dictates things like your thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, and endeavors. It's that core part of you, and it's so much more than just a physical heart. It's the center of who you are. Proverbs 4.23 lays it out so clearly. It says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The same way that blood flows out of your physical heart to every part of your body, everything that comes out of your life flows out of your heart. So by putting pure heart together, Jesus is saying that you're blessed when your heart and everything that flows out of it, that's your thoughts, motives, actions, all of it is pure and unstained in any way. Now that's the parameter for who will be blessed. And the promised blessing is that the pure of heart will see God. So what does it mean to see God? We read in the book of Exodus where Moses, it says, talked with God face to face and he saw the glory of God. Elijah turned away as God brushed past him. Jesus himself said during his time on earth, I only do what I see my father doing. But what does that mean for us? Now the word see here really does mean see with our eyes. But there's a little bit of a component of of knowing or experiencing along with it. And many uh, scholars would say that seeing God is seeing God moving on earth. Seeing his activity on earth. And I think that there's a lot of weight to that. But we know with any of these beatitudes, the promises that are attached always come with something that's temporal and something that's eternal. So in order to understand this particular beatitude, we really do need to view it through the lens of Jesus. So we know that when Jesus died on a cross and rose again, all those who put their faith in Him will see God on that day when they walk in to His throne room in heaven. It speaks of this in Revelation chapter 22. The promise will be fulfilled in that eternal sense at that point. But what does it mean for the temporal? I believe we catch glimpses of the eternal in our temporal. We know that total victory was accomplished by Jesus. Victory over Satan, over sin, over death and the grave. It was won on the cross, but we still live in this balance of the already and the not yet. 
We're living between the eternal and the temporal where heaven breaks through in part, but not yet in full. You see heaven break through and when we pray and someone's healed. You see uh, heaven break through when somebody's story that, that was bound for destruction is redeemed and they're on a pathway to life. There's these glimpses that we catch of heaven sometimes even in a worship service where something shifts and and it's like the eternal visits the temporal. Jesus encouraged us to pray, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It was a prayer for the eternal reality to visit our temporal reality. Now, I think we struggle here because we know that we're somewhere between the eternal and the temporal, but we don't quite know how it works. We know that there's no sickness or death in heaven, and we know that when we pray for the sick on earth, sometimes they're healed, but they're not healed all the time. It's actually one of the rare times where we as humans can almost have an easier time understanding the eternal reality of a promise than how that promise looks on earth. It's tough because we see the already but the not yet, and it's this blend of the eternal and the temporal. But let me encourage you with this. If you find yourself today feeling like your life is full of a whole lot more earthly and a whole lot less heavenly, why don't you take that encouragement of Jesus to pray, God, let your kingdom come. Let your eternal reality come to my earthly, my temporal circumstance and situation. Invite God to move in your earthly world, in your life. Pray that prayer of Jesus. So let's get really practical here now. I want with all of my heart to see God. I know I'll see Him in the eternal, but I want to see Him every day in my own life. Every single day. I want, I want to receive this promised blessing of Jesus daily of seeing God. And if that's you, then for you and for me, the call is that we would be people who have a pure heart. So that leads us to the question, how do we do that? All throughout Scripture, we find verses that talk about how corrupt and awful the human heart actually is. Jeremiah, I think, says it best when he says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So Jesus' original audience when he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount would have grown up well aware of a verse like this and of others. There would have been at least a part of this promised blessing that to them would have sounded like a a pipe dream or a carrot somehow eternally out of reach of the horse. 
How could anyone possibly receive the promise of seeing God if it relied on their own perfection? So I come back to a fella like King David. David was called a man who was after God's own heart. But David was also far from perfect. (laughs) He actually sinned in ways that would literally, literally land us in jail today. But there's two of his prayers that we find recorded in the Psalms that I think will be very helpful in looking at what it means to have a pure heart. Now, obviously, this is a broad topic, but I want to focus on just these two prayers for our time here. The first one we find in Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24. It says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Our our hearts are, are hard things for us to measure and to gauge on our own. In 1 Samuel 16 verse 7, God tells Samuel that people judge by outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. That's what God told Samuel. That's why I so love David's prayer here because it reveals the posture of David's heart. Someone who was considered to have a heart that was like God's own heart. His prayer is, search me, O God. Test me. Go through my life with a far, uh, fine tooth comb. Point out the stuff where I'm falling short. Point out the things that offend you. He's saying, I know my heart is deceitful and wicked, and and I can't trust it, and I can't even trust myself to give a proper estimation of what's happening in my heart. My motives are suspect. My thoughts and my actions are, ah, they're racked with guilt and deceit. Help me. Help me, God. Lead me. I need you to direct my path. I want to be on a path to eternal life. I can't do this on my own. I love this prayer so much because it's an honest prayer. David's not putting on a show for God saying, look at how pious I am. He's going, oh, I'm wretched and I just need, I need your help, God. Please. It's humble. It's contrite. And it shows the posture that he carries. And this is the same pure heart that we read about in this beatitude, and it's the same pure heart that Jesus is calling us to. Jesus' desire for us is to be less concerned with trying to look good on the outside to other people 
he's more concerned that, that we are good on the inside. And if we get the inside stuff right, it will come out. Everything flows from our heart. And if we want a pure heart, we need to pray a prayer like David did here. God, help me. Search me. Point it out. And can I just tell you, if you pray a prayer like that and you genuinely want the pure heart that Jesus is calling us to, pray it. And then keep your heart soft to hear what God might be saying to you. Keep your, keep your heart soft and, and then respond. If you point something out, change it. If you need help, ask someone for it. Pray the prayer, but follow through then when he points things out. So I, I think we as humans have this tendency to measure the purity of our hearts by our ability to dodge sin. I think it's an incomplete measure because we tend to focus only on not doing the bad things, right? But is the purity of our heart based only on things that we avoid doing? Later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches about anger saying, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother is subject to judgment. (laughs) He's saying if the only reason that you're not killing people is because I told you not to, you're missing the entire point of the law. You're missing the entire heart behind it. You think you're pure just because you're not killing people? I don't know. If that's how we're thinking, we're just avoiding sin, we're missing the bigger picture. He's saying, I don't even want you to be angry. I'm more concerned with your heart attitude. I'm more concerned with you being angry with a brother than you just avoiding killing them. It's not just about our external actions and a checklist. He's actually going, no, no, no. I want you to be good on the inside. But what we do do in the middle of our sin is also very telling about our heart. Let's get to the last prayer of David we're going to look at. It's out of Psalm 51. And this entire psalm is written during a period where David had just been caught committing adultery with Bathsheba and all of the murderous fallout that came as a result. And the prophet Nathan actually confronted David. The whole psalm's great. We're just going to read a few verses. Start in verse 7. It says, Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. At one of the lowest points in David's entire life, in the depths of his sin, in the greasiest, grimiest spot, when his heart was pressed down and broken and crushed, this sweet wine, this sweet prayer is what begins to flow out of that broken heart. So listen, have you ever been caught in sin before? I know you've sinned before, but have you ever been caught red-handed in sin? Has somebody called you out for it? And if they have, how do you deal with correction in your life? How do you deal with it when somebody says, listen, I've noticed you've been living this way. How do you deal with it? How do you deal with it when somebody points out maybe a blind spot in your life? What do you do when you're in the middle of your sin? Now, as I said, David didn't do it all right, but there was something in his heart where even in the middle of his lowest spot, he was still pursuing, he was still calling out to God. He still wanted to follow him in his heart, even though everything you would have seen on the outside would have made it seem like he didn't care about God in any way. You look at this prayer and there's a a contriteness and a humility, but there's somehow, remember, Jesus hadn't come, he hadn't died on a cross or anything. Yet when David prays this prayer, there's such an unshakable belief and trust in how much God loved him, how incredible and vast God's forgiveness towards him was. There's something so beautiful that we find here. Even though he wasn't deserving of it, He believed rightly that God would forgive and redeem and restore even his greatest blemish. So when I came in from the garage, hands filthy and dirty, I didn't just keep going about life with dirty hands. I I stopped I went to the sink and I got plenty of soap and warm water and I scrubbed and I washed until my hands were again clean. Until I got all that off. Now you know as well as I do that just living life, we accumulate dirt. You see it on your clothes. But in the same way, we accumulate sin. It's going to happen. We want to come with David's first prayer where we say, God, search me. I don't want any sin in my life. But we also want to come with David's second prayer where we say, God, with this sin, wash me. Make me clean. Make me white as snow again. Purify me. Redeem me. Restore me. Forgive me. 
And in those moments of sin, it also reveals the orientation and direction of our hearts. So Matthew 5.8 God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. I hope this has been a helpful online exclusive where we've tackled Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Beatitude. And my prayer for you today is that you would indeed see God more and more every day of your life. That that as you let Him mold and shape and refine your heart, you would begin to see this promise more and more every day. Thanks so much for taking the time to either Uh, watch this message or to listen it. Have a great rest of your week, whatever day this message finds you.